welcome to an MTL meetup. And we're going to be meeting this way for the foreseeable future. No more in-person or live gatherings. We're going to be meeting like this. And these talks will also be podcasted to Apple Podcasts and also on SoundCloud if you're not interested in the video and you just want to get the sound. So no worries, but you can subscribe to the podcast, you can subscribe to these videos and check them out wherever they're available. All right? It's good to be doing this with you guys. Now, I've got a story. It was back when my second child, Lincoln Gallagher, was in grade school, and I volunteered to be the parent who was going to go with him on this field trip and stay overnight at this museum, like overnight in the museum. It was super cool, but my story has to do with what we did prior to actually going to the museum. We took all of these students who were fourth or fifth grade, and we took them to the zoo, the Denver Zoo, and I was in charge of five of them. And we walked around and we killed time at the Denver Zoo until it was time to go to the museum and really begin the adventure. Little did I know the adventure wasn't going to be at the zoo, right? So we're walking around, we're doing all of these things. And one of the girls in my group, we had gone over to this little kind of exhibit and it was bears, right? And so there's kind of this like iron fence almost like steel fence that's kind of spaced appropriately that like prevents us you know what I mean from going in to the bears but here it is nonetheless and we check out the bears we're all kind of leaning up against it doing our thing and then we start to walk away and then one of the girls says um there's a problem and I look back And this girl has taken her knee and pushed it between the two bars. And now, for for the life of her, she can't get her knee back out. And I don't panic, and her friends don't panic. We're like, surely her knee got in there. Surely it will come back out, right? So we do everything we can. Like everything we can dream up, imagine, and figure out to get her knee out. We're lifting her up, we're moving her about, we're laying her back, we're trying to straighten her. Nothing is working. Oh! So anyway, we call the zoo security. Someone like nearby helps us with that, and, and we get the zoo security to come by. And they try everything that they can think of, too. And nothing is working. So then I hear them over talking, and he's on the radio, and he's talking to somebody else, and the next thing on deck is to get this, like, saw that's going to cut through these bars and, like, get her knee out. Oh, my gosh. So anyway, the last thing, ditch effort, we try. Like, he happens to have some ointment, right, for, like, cuts and, and things like that. And so... I get a bunch of this stuff and we just smear this ointment all over her knee, like and thigh and like calf and like leg. And we just try and get it like all covered. And sure enough, we're able to slide her leg out of these bars. 
No saw necessary. No cutting, nothing like that. Anyway, as we're all laughing about this and walking away, one of her friends says to her, Oh my gosh, that's just like last year when we went to Six Flags, E-Liches. We were at the amusement park standing in line to go to the roller coaster and you got your knee stuck in the fence railing there too. What? Oh my gosh. I'm telling you this story because sometimes there are patterns in life that we need to pay attention to. We need to take witness. We need to step up and see the patterns, acknowledge them, and and kind of just wrap our heads around those patterns a little bit. For her, I don't know if it's an oddly shaped knee or what it is, but like she needs to not be like leaning up against those kinds of railings and pushing her knee in them. This is twice now, right? There are patterns in life that we need to pay attention to, especially when it comes to our behaviors and our moods and our feelings. There are like grooves that we fall into, rhythms, right? Like there are definite patterns. And I would even suggest, and I'm sure science would too, and you could find some books to back this one up, but we develop neuropathways, right? That are these patterns that like pull us into this groove, you know? And, and these neuropathways and grooves are formed over time. Sometimes we call them habits, right? And it's just things that happen. Like I've, I've discussed with you guys before in the past about just like getting into my car and starting the car and the next thing I know I'm at the post office, right? Because it's just a routine and something that I've done so often and ugh, like it just happens like that. Craziness. Over time, we develop pathways. We develop pathways. We develop patterns. And those can be good. Those can be bad. They can be good grooves. They can be deep ruts that keep us stuck. Our minds are just crazy, complex things that we continue to stand in awe of and just marvel at, at what our minds can do. My dad always loves to tell this story about me when I was younger And we would play hide-and-go-seek. And I guess this happened over time. But he would say, go hide. You know what I mean? And I would run into the other room. And I would say, ready. And then he would come. And he would look around the room. And he would find me standing in the corner with my hands over my eyes. Believing that if I couldn't see him, that he couldn't see me. And the more he played along with that idea, the more I really believed that it was true. Fast forward to I'm an adult. Can you just pause for a second and think about all the crazy things we believe, that we believe as adults? Crazy stuff. Now, I was standing in the gas station. This was many, many years ago. And I was in line in front of a father and his, like, six-year-old daughter. And she was playing with all the stuff the gas stations put at the height for a six-year-old, right? I mean, totally predictable. They know how to do it. They know how to work the system. So, boom, she's playing with all the stuff. 
And the dad, you know, it must have been like after work. It must have been like they were in a rush. He was clearly impatient with her. But here's what happened. She started playing with something and he said, knock it off, quit it, blah, blah, blah. And she kept doing it. And then eventually he like ripped the thing out of her hands. And he said, who the hell do you think you are to her? And that's forever been stained in my brain. Because I just think about that kind of conversation, those kinds of words, and the power they have to create grooves inside our minds. I wonder how many times she was spoken to like that and what that did for patterns and neuropathways inside of her mind, right? Those kind of conversations have a powerful, powerful impact on us. But I want to talk about a slightly similar conversation, yet different, because do you know who's been talking to you the most throughout your entire life? You. You've been talking to yourself the most. And what you say to yourself matters. How you speak to yourself matters because it creates patterns. It creates neuropathways. It creates grooves. It creates ruts. Think about this. I want you to think about all the rituals that we practice as human beings. The things that we, you know, step into and practice and that have just tremendous and profound meaning for us. Now, (laughs) maybe I should say rituals that we used to practice that we're dying to get back to, right? Maybe that's going to be a good trigger for you. Maybe you can think about rituals that you are like longing to practice again. You know, immediately in my mind, I think about traditions. I think about ceremonies. I think about birthdays. I think about graduations. My oldest son is 18, and this is the year of his graduation, 2021. I think about weddings. I think about anniversaries. I just recently did a wedding um, with two people who were each 53, both widowed, and it was a very laid-back, casual wedding just with the two of them and two friends. And when I showed up, they were so sweet because they just looked at me and they said, I mean, we've been thinking about this and, 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 and looking forward to it, but man, in the last like 10 minutes, we both just got so nervous and excited for this ceremony, even though it was going to be like 10 minutes long. These kinds of traditions and rituals that we participate in conjure and create such meaning within us, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's pretty powerful stuff. And it doesn't also have to be just like a celebration, like what I'm talking about. Like, I think one of the funnest, uh, most meaningful rituals for me growing up um, was Sunday, uh, Saturday morning cartoons with blankets and popsicles. <laughs> and some video games, too. But I always remember, like, it was such a down time such a good moment to rest and relax and enjoy and to be safe at home, right? 
so much is conjured up within me about those kinds of moments throughout my entire life. Rituals act out something from within us. They're filled with meaning and they engage our hearts and our minds. You know, like imagine rituals like a doorway, right? It's a doorway that we pass through from one place to another. And rituals help us with that kind of movement. When it comes to self-talk, right? The things that we say to ourselves, the loops that we play within our minds, we have to be conscious and intentional to enter into a space that is compassionate. Compassionate. We must enact our heart and our mind to travel the path that we want to take, right? From negative self-talk to compassionate self-talk. Because that space can create grooves that are so beneficial for us. New rituals might be a good thing for you. New practices, new words, new ways to travel from one space to the other. What I think of are simply some ideas, some examples. (sighs) Creating playlists. Songs that you can listen to that will help serve as movement from this space of negativity to this space of compassion, right? You could formulate a mantra that you always speak, that you, that you like know that I can go to these words and I can speak this phrase and it's going to serve me well. You can consider finding a, a trail or, or a path to walk or run or hike um, what I'm thinking of is like Eastern traditions when they had labyrinths and, and stairs that they would climb and it served as this like physical ritual that they could do to help enact their heart and mind and engage a part of themselves. And, and so maybe um, you can find a new ritual to do. Maybe it's like taking negative self-talk out of your mind you know, and writing it down and ripping it up, burning it or mailing it with no return address or burying it somewhere. (laughs) Maybe you need a new ritual to help you move into that space of compassionate self-talk. I just want you to think about anything that would help tap into your mind and heart and help you move into that space because rituals can help us do that now it's not you know like I always talk with people and share ideas and sometimes people feel really busy and they just say uh, I don't need one more thing to do and if you're that person and you're listening to this and you're like Phil I don't need something else to do something else to create something else to try and figure out um I'm going to suggest that you put your attention, energy, and focus on undoing then, on unlearning. And this might be harder work, right? It's the, it's the work of disruption, you know, disruption. I know the negative self-talk seems um, 
I don't know, almost natural, almost normal, you know, because we have been doing it for a long time. You've formed some pretty good grooves, maybe. Yeah, some deep ones. You've had a lot of practice. Maybe you've had negative self-talk going on for 42 years. And now the opposite seems unnatural, right? To speak to yourself in a compassionate, loving, and considerate way. So we need to undo. We need to unlearn. We need to disrupt the rituals of negative self-talk. Those things that are there that like seem almost automatic, almost like default. And like any muscle, we've exercised it enough that it's become very strong and very easy and very simple. So it makes sense that it might be difficult to break those kinds of habits, to break those patterns and to take a new path and to form that into a groove over time. We have established patterns. We have those, and they're going to be difficult to break. But perhaps what you need to do is that tough work. It's going to take effort. It's going to take energy, and it's going to be tough. I know some of my, uh, I guess you would say, rituals of negative self-talk. If I start to go to that place in my mind, like I will get quiet. Um, I will be distracted. Um, I know that I tend to pull myself away from people who might speak otherwise, which isn't the best thing, right? But I'm just telling you honest to God, like heart to heart, like some of those things that I know. Um, Isolation, absence, um, just like I can pick songs to help move me into a better space, I can also pick songs to reinforce perhaps the anger and frustration and disappointment that I feel in myself, the resentment that is there. Sometimes I know that we can punish ourselves in different ways, right? And so like, We have rituals of negative self-talk, too. We have those. And perhaps it's worth your time, it's worth your energy to become aware of those patterns and to disrupt them in ways that you find possible. I'm not sure what your specific ways are, your negative self-talk rituals, but think about it and consider what pattern you can disrupt right away at the onset, on the beginning, to make a difference. I already mentioned my son Silas. He's 18. Um, I remember back when he was in first grade. And when he was in first grade, we found this little letter, this little note inside of his room. And it had all the names of all the boys in his first grade class on the sheet. And next to their names were little marks, little tallies. And so when we had time to sit down with them, we said, hey, Silas, what are these tallies. What is this note all about? Tell us. And he proudly explained to us that he wasn't quite sure who to invite to his birthday party this year, but he devised a system to figure that out. And so he was keeping score of who did things for him. 
um, who was nice to him, who wasn't nice to him. And every time that someone was nice to him or did something for him or helped him or whatever, he would give them a mark, you know? And people who didn't have a mark hadn't done anything for him. And then when it was time for his birthday, he was like, I'm going to know exactly who to send these invitations out to. So he explained that to us and we sat him down and we had a nice long talk, you know, we kind of set him straight a little bit. But that story stands out to me because with all the good rituals, with all the positive rituals and with all the negative rituals, I think one thing uh, that we're very good at with ourselves is keeping score. And those scorecards that we keep are so heavy and so exhausting. And they're just not a great way to live. They're not a great burden to carry around. When we keep score against ourselves, we have access to this this stuff that can create a flood of emotions within ourselves that is simply, like I said, a burden we don't need to carry. It's something we don't need any longer. And when we're talking about being compassionate to ourselves, these scorecards do not help. I used to DJ um, events. I remember one time in particular when I showed up um, and I was, it was like up stairs. There was an elevator, but it was slow. So I was lugging tons of equipment, tons of equipment up and down, up and down, up and down. The heaviest stuff, of course, sure went in to the elevator. There was only one of me though. And there was a lot of stuff. And by the time I got it all in and what I used that night, I remember just kind of evaluating being like, what am I doing? carrying all this stuff around. I didn't even use half of it. It was like backup stuff. You know what I mean? But I brought it in. Like, the scorecards are like that. It's just too much. It's unnecessary. Like, we can just leave it behind. We can drop it. And we can move forward with what we truly need to move us into those compassionate spaces for ourselves to help us with the talk, the talk, the conversations inside of our hearts and inside of our minds. Reality is you're going to have good and bad days. That's reality. You're going to practice patterns that help you. You're also going to practice patterns that hurt you. You're going to have rituals in your life that like set you free and bring life. And you're going to have rituals that bury you and contribute to your death. Now, I wanted to talk about this today because I like the idea. And for myself, geez, I just had an experience last week. Um... Last Wednesday evening, um, I had a full-blown panic attack. And I haven't had one in a while. Haven't had one in a while. (sighs) And the next day, the self-talk that started in my mind 
was so familiar and was so negative, you know? And then I saw my therapist on Friday. And at the end of our session together, I talked to my therapist and I said, can I just thank you? I, I want to... I want to say thank you because every time I meet with you, I'm reminded of the practice of being compassionate toward myself, to speak words of love and affirmation and care, to speak words that are filled with compassion and to interrupt and disrupt all the negative stuff and to set in place some practices, which she reminded me of, that will help move me into that space. I told her sometimes, you know, that like when this kind of happens and the chart of my life doesn't look like this, you know, with anxiety, like I wish it did. And I wish that reality didn't have good and bad days, right? That like, that like, we could just keep that track like clicking up, 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 up. But reality is there's going to be good and bad days and we can't fight that. We accept that and we know that. And so I told her, you know, when I have a panic attack and I haven't had one in a long time, I can get really down on myself and I can start looking at the things that I didn't do that I knew I should have done or that I should have been practicing things that I had let fall down and like other stuff that had been allowed to like you know and you start playing all that through and she just said to me <laughs> it's a pretty popular phrase I think in the world of meditation she said compassion compassion and here's what you need simply begin again Begin again, right? Begin those trusted rituals that you know. Try some new rituals. Begin again to disrupt the negative self-talk that comes your way. Begin again to realize that you're carrying too much. And there's some things that you need to let go of. And drop and just walk away from those scorecards. Don't keep score. Begin again. Ah, it was so what I needed to hear. And I wanted to share because I thought maybe, maybe it's something that you need to hear. Maybe it's something that a friend of yours needs to hear. So, until next time. May you not accept the default of negative self-talk in your life. May you choose and try new rituals of self-compassion that move you into a new and freeing space. May you also do the difficult work of disrupting old patterns. May you unlearn that negative self-talk. And may you discover that keeping score is a tired and heavy way to live your life. May you begin again today, this moment. And may you tap into your heart and mind and make self-compassion a living, breathing reality for yourself on a daily 
basis. I want to thank you for joining me during this MTL meetup. I'm excited for the next one. And um, until then, begin again. Begin again. We'll see you next time.